The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. Our guest today is Peggy Robinson, who survived a childhood drowning and near-death experience, only to have a more profound and life-changing NDE as the result of a tragic pregnancy. Peggy, uh, welcome to NDE Radio. Hi. Good to have you here. Um, Peggy, you. since since your second NDE was was what I would call the more profound, um, let's start with that one, if you would. Okay. I was 25 years old, pregnant for twins. I had three little boys at home. Um, my husband Jeff and I, you know, were excited about the twins. I was already starting to already starting to show, but I started having pain, and it got worse through the week. And by the end of the week, I asked uh, Jeff to take me to the hospital, which is about an hour away, in Marietta. And pain got worse as we got closer to the hospital. And all of a sudden, the pain started to fade quickly, but I kind of felt like I was fading away with it. I felt like I was dying. I was too afraid to say anything to Jeff. We got to the hospital, and I told the nurse, I think it's a tubal pregnancy, because um, Jeff had made me get my tubes tied when I was 20, and I had got them reversed. And we were told we'd have about a 5% chance higher than normal chance of a tubal pregnancy if we had the surgery. Mm. And I felt with the pain, that must be what it is. And I said, but I feel like I'm going to throw up or pass out. So she put me in a, the nurse put me in a chair, had Jeff stay there and fill out the paperwork. And as she's leading me down the long hall to the room, I had my hands on the armrest of the wheelchair. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to throw up. So I wanted to lift the bowl, the blue bowl she put in my lap, but I couldn't move my hands. I felt disconnected from my body. And then I thought, oh, no, I'm not going to throw up after all. I'm going to pass out. And I leaned my head down, and I thought, I'm passing out right now. Next thing I know, I am going, like this noise, (laughs) shot like a rocket, straight up to space in a tunnel. This is before I ever heard near-death experience or people die come back, anything. I just knew, crap, I'm dead. I've got boys at home. I've really made a bad mistake by getting the surgery. And I was going so fast. I knew I was going out through space because I left Earth way below. And it was like a knocking noise, like as the wind would hit the sides. It was so fast, like make a knocking noise. And all of a sudden, everything had stopped. And now I look down. There's no body, but I feel just like me. And I'm in white light, bright white light. I look down, I don't see me, I turn around, don't even have to turn around and see behind me. I mean, every, it was like I was in a room of light, but it was like wall, ceiling, floor, in the middle. Everything was light. And I thought, okay, this is heaven, I guess, but where is everybody? This isn't what I expected. <laughs> and um, I thought, I'm alone. Am I going to be alone forever like this? Is this what heaven is? And then I look up ahead and kind of to my right, I see an outline, like a panel of people. I see, um, like, shadow of um, 
the head, shoulder, down the arms. I can't see face or anything. Just I could see. Okay, people were there. It's like okay, I have a complaint department because I need to go back. <laughs> and um, so then I'm scanning my eyes over, trying to you know squint and see closer into this panel of people. My eyes drop down, and I see one is sitting up front and center, and I know instinctively that has to be God. I see no more than still a shadow, but it was instinct. I knew without a doubt, and so I started screaming at him. This is not something I ever thought I would go to heaven and do. <laughs> I mean, you think, <laughs> oh, die, have, die and go to heaven someday. It must, it'll probably be great. This is not what I imagined. And I started griping just acting like a brat, like a little child stomping their feet and screaming, basically, oh, no, I won't go. And I saw, I call it now a vision. At first I thought, well, I kind of was just shown this scene, but I think it was a vision to help me understand. I saw this vision of, I think it was a little boy. I seen this child in a store, like they were cashing out, and he's stomping his feet, throwing a horrible, spoiled child fit, but he wanted something. And the mother and father was there and just, no, you can't have that. No, you can't have it. And that showed me, it was like God's way of showing me, this is how you're acting. And I'm the boss here and you're not and I need to calm down. And I heard a male voice, but I can't tell you I think exact words. It was like thought was being, you know, I was yelling and talking in words, but it was like thought was being communicated to me through him. And I felt his voice as loving, firm, authoritative. And I felt I could trust him to know that, you know, this young mother really wants to be with her children. And I was um, abused my entire childhood, and I was a very overprotective mother. And I wanted God to understand, I can't let them go through even one thing I went through. I've got to be there and protect them. And it all came out like this one scream, and like I knew he understood. And so I humbled myself before him, and I said, I know you're omniscient. We were Catholic at the time, and I knew this from church. And I said, I'm pleading my case. I'm trying anything. I thought, throwing a fit didn't work. I'll try something else. So I said, I know you're omniscient. And um, if my sons would be better off without me, for whatever reason, I agree to stay. But if not, I beg to return. And then I could see down... And we lived at a trailer at the time, and I could see down in my son's bedroom, like in the future, kind of like a scene you know, out of a Christmas carol or something. Um, and they were crying, you know, mad that mom, they were told mom was dead, and my middle son Jeremy's real sensitive, and he's, I don't care that you say she's dead. I want her back, I want her like now. And I could feel his pain. And I crumbled at the floor, the white floor of heaven. I am now crumbled, laying on it, sobbing, and realizing it's not God's fault. I died. It's mine. And it's my fault these twins have died. It's my fault my sons feel this pain. It's all oh, this is my fault. And I'm sobbing, and I li- barely have the strength to lift my head. I look up, but all I see is white. But I'm looking up to say to God or Jesus, I don't know. To say, I look, lift my head to say, who else will teach them about you? And then I am back in that wheelchair. Mm. And at first, I hear the nurse talking. She's now talking to another nurse. At some point, 
she's someone else coming on board along talking to her. I don't know when, because I was there. And um, first come back my hearing, and then my hands felt, I could feel them on the armrest of the wheelchair. And then I could feel like a warm, like my body come back through. And then when it felt, I felt feeling in my feet on the foot pedal of the wheelchair, I knew I was all the way back. And my first thought in my mind was, what the hell was that? <laughs> I mean, I could not understand. And I felt like um, I, I can't do nothing for the twins. There's nothing more I can do for them. I knew in my heart they were dead. And I thought, I just, I felt like I had a few hours to save my life somehow for my sons or I would probably die. Whatever was going on in my body, I need to get this fixed. And... Um, they put me in a room and I was shaking all over freezing cold. They couldn't give me enough blankets. I don't know if that was shock or dropping body, body temperature from me and dad. I don't know. I just shook like crazy. And then the doctor come in. He says, well, I'll prep you for a DNC. You'll possibly have a miscarriage. And then he says, they check me. He says, no, your ears is intact. Why do you think you have a dual pregnancy? He says, I told you I did an ultrasound before. Both babies are in the uterus. It's not a tubal pregnancy. And I thought, well, I can't tell him I just died because he'll put me in the psych ward. And I really need him to take me seriously. But he's looking at me like, what is wrong with you? And I looked at my husband. He shrugged his shoulder. And he's like, oh, no. So he said, well, since you know our way, it'll make you feel better. You can spend the night. And I thought, well, <laughs> so, I hope somehow because I'm just going to lay there and die. So I couldn't say anything. And so... Doctor went home and Jeff went home and I laid there all night in a room by myself. I would uh, have pain in my right hip bone area. I would sit up, get my blue bowl, thought I was going to puke. Next thing I know, I wake up. I've got vomit everywhere except my bowl. Here I vomited while I was passed out. This happened all night. Nurse refused to call the doctor. So the next morning, they take me down to ultrasound. Well, I have internal bleeding filled my entire abdominal cavity clear up to my chest. Doctor comes in. He says, it's the worst thing imaginable. You have a uh, tumor pregnancy. We've got to get you to surgery. Back. So that was that was the tubal pregnancy. And hmm. um, after the tubal pregnancy, the next month, I was pregnant again. I thought, gosh, I'm going to die. I didn't tell anybody what happened. I just had to push it behind me. I was warning the twins. Now I'm pregnant again. I suppose I'm going to die at two months. And I got to be two months, and we went to a family reunion on my on Jeff's side, and we were in line to eat. At, and uh, I said, I hear a child crying. Everybody said, I don't hear nothing. I said, going for line. Don't you hear it? No, no. I ended up walking out in the field, and I thought, I know I heard it. I just felt lead, and I seen some tall grass. So I walked over, and it was a creek. And here's this little boy drowning. I reach over, and I pull him up by the back of his shirt. He looks at me like he's seen a ghost, and he takes off into his parents, and they look at me. The moment I lifted him, I knew I miscarried. Well, we went to um, a party at Jeff's family after that, and I um, thought, gosh, you know, nobody could say, I'm sorry, you lost you know, three children in three months. And so I went outside and sat in the grass and looked up the night sky and just got lost, just like let go of everything in my life and just let it go. Stop trying, you know, all this. And 
all of a sudden, I remembered the drowning when I was five years old. I had never, ever remembered it at all. And it come like a little movie trailer, front to back, and then done. Mm. So. Wow. <laughs> well, I'd love to lead right into the drowning part, but let's let's go back a, a minute. When you left your body in the hospital, mm-hmm. pro- it sounds to me like you were probably bleeding out internally, and that was what was killing you at that point in time. Um, but did you did you feel your soul hover at any point, watching the scene like so many people describe, going up to the ceiling and seeing the the nurse pushing the wheelchair and so forth. Yeah. You were you were just oh. gone. Okay. I just like you snap your fingers, I'm in that tunnel. Is that fast? I'm feeling like I'm gonna vomit, then like I'm gonna throw up and then suddenly I'm well aware, alert in this tunnel and I know I'm dead. Because mm. you know, you're not in a tunnel when you're alive. <laughs> Something's weird right. here. Was the tunnel light too? No, it was, was dim. It was dim. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty classic that uh that journey that you took um when you got there people often say when you go into the light it's like this overwhelming feeling of love but you didn't necessarily feel that was that because you were so angry well um at that moment i hadn't felt the anger at that moment in the light i was just confused like is this it is this all there is is this eternity because i thought there'd be more that's Mm. all i was feeling you know i was remembering the fast ride and the loud noise and the the tunnel and then this is the total opposite of in this space and feeling light and complete quiet right just alone with myself is what i felt and and that panel of people that were there apparently with with god was that something that um um you did you get any reaction from them no i felt they were being very still, quiet, and just watching and listening. Mm. I felt they were obeying, which I wasn't obeying. Wow. It's, it's really interesting that they were there. I mean, you, you would assume that um, that God would uh, know in advance what was going to take place. I felt it was my time, that, that this was my death, that I was not supposed to go back. Of course, I never heard of those things back then. Um. But that's just the feeling I had, like, this is it. You know, I messed up. Yes. And I just wasn't accepting it. And um, what, what you said he was like a loving parent, like a father figure. And mm-hmm. um, and you sensed his, his wisdom. But you still were there to negotiate. There are some stories in the Bible about people negotiating with God. And uh, do, you, do you think your Catholic upbringing gave you some of that um, some of that? Chutzpah, I guess I'd say, the well, courage to uh, argue with God. I had only been Catholic for five years. Um, I took myself to church. My parents didn't go, but we went to um, my brothers and sisters. We went to like Baptist or you know Methodist or whatever. Mm. Um, and after the near death experience, I longed so badly in my heart to go back to the churches. I was raised in, I wanted to hear those hymns so bad. And I oh, finally, yes. um, made Jeff take me one time. You know, Kathy's always going to other churches. I let him, I had him take me one time and it just felt so good to hear, you know, Amazing Grace and, you know, those songs. I just, for some reason, I was just like, my heart just needed it. Mm. 
Did when you were there? Did you hear any music? I mean, it was uh, no. They talk. They talk about a psychic connection, but people sometimes also uh, sense uh, the presence of music. But you only heard right. that one. That one or intuited that right. one voice of God's. Right. Um. Did you have any sense of the um, survival of the souls of the twins? I mean, do, you weren't. No. They didn't travel with you, did they? No. I just mm. knew. I just knew. I don't know how. I just knew that they were dead. I mean, for something to kill me, mm-hmm. I knew it was bad enough that it had to have killed them. And when and I yet, come back, I just knew that they were gone. Yeah. And yet their souls continued, just as yours did after your body died. I, I so they'll, say, you know, Yeah, they'll be they'll be there. I'm sure. You know, waiting for you when it's when it is your time. Well, listen, this is, um, maybe we do have time. Uh, why don't you describe what you began to remember? Oh, I want to ask you this, that vision of the boy, the little boy, was that a vision or was that something that was actually happening? The little boy drowning. Oh, that happened. Okay. So this was a, he was part of the, of the, uh, uh, family reunion that you were attending? Yeah. yeah um, uh, right after I lost the twins, the very next month I was pregnant and when I was two months with them, it was a family reunion, and that's when I nobody else heard it but me. And I reached down and picked him up, and he looked at me like he saw a ghost and run off. Now, if he if he was underwater, or was the crying that you heard might have been the kind of communication you were having with God. In other words, you might have heard his distress um, in a in a Maybe. nonverbal way, yeah, because nobody Maybe. else heard it. Maybe so he was, yeah. Another weird thing that happened right after that, or after that, with that little boy, is um, Jeff and I and the boys going down the road one day, and I said, "Pull over to this house." I knew who lived there. This never happened before since. I, I don't know why. I said I have this strong feeling, and I knocked on the door, and I thought this is so embarrassing because <laughs> I'm going to say, "Excuse me," I thought it was somebody else because I don't know why I'm so late. I couldn't stop. And I opened the door, and surprisingly, my brother John's ex-wife, Chris, opened the door. And here it happened to be her sister's house, and she had to be babysitting her nephew. And I uh-huh. walked in, and here that nephew was choking on Easter basket grass, and she didn't know it. I grabbed him up uh-huh. under my arm and took him to the bathroom and pulled the grass out over the tub, running water, and, you know, reached up, and then he ran off. And I'm like, I just saved that kid's life. I don't even know what happened. I got in the car and I told Jeff and we drove away and we just kind of in silence on the way home, just kind of glanced at each other like, what's going on? This is, this is so interesting because this is a, this ability of yours to sense when children are in trouble, um, might have been a gift from the NDE or even from your first NDE when you were five. Uh, and a, a very good reason for you to have been sent back because there you are saving people's lives. Yeah, and then after Tell- that we were on, we had built our house, went up the house just the basement was on the deck. Maybe was like a year or so later, and mm-hmm. uh, the kids were down for a nap, and uh, it was just Jeff and I on the deck. And usually we have the radio on, but this day I don't like to have the radio on. It was quiet, and I said I hear something. He's like I don't hear nothing, and it was such a quiet noise, but it felt just like a I can't describe. Just a very quiet. And I said I have a feeling something happened up. Here. He said, well, let's go look. So we walked out. We looked up the hill, 248. I go, we don't see nothing. But we started to walk on up. And here at the top of that hill had been a car wreck. And um, 
there was four guys that had wrecked. Two were still in the front seat, and two were flown and went way down the cliff, uh, flown out of the vehicle. And uh, I ran back down the house and called Life Flight Come, and they said they they kept losing them. They got revived. But, you know, later I got thinking, that's weird that all these things, these weird feelings, and then it just happened for a while. So I don't know. And I don't know if it's all connected or not. And since that time, you have uh, raised a bunch of children, haven't you? Yeah, had uh, 60 foster kids in and out. We did therapeutic foster care. We ended up adopting 10 children altogether. One of our three boys was adopted, and then we adopted. Um, I had remarried. I was married 16 years. We got divorced, and I remarried. And um, we we adopted nine. So. Um, wow. And then when they, you know, I was just busy. I couldn't, I, these things would pop in my mind, like memories. And I had PTSD from childhood, so I'm constantly trying to push everything away. And... Mm-hmm. And then once they all got grown, left the house, and I'm traveling with my husband in a camper for his work, and um, we left our house back home, you know, and just do this, and spent a lot of time alone. And so one day I thought, well, I'm going to write my little book just for me and write these PTSD stuff, you know, try to get it out of me. And then the next day I read it, and I'm like, okay, I know about all this horrible stuff, but what's this? <laughs> what's this about an angel? And what's this about um, these visions and... You know, after, you know, during the drowning and after the drowning and then little things here and there growing up. And I had an out-of-body experience when I was 16. I was kidnapped and raped. And I left my body. I prayed and prayed and prayed. I wasn't there. And I left my body. And I am up in the night sky looking down at Earth. I had my body. I had my clothes. The wind's blowing my hair. And I thought, none of this stuff makes sense. And, um, but then... I started putting it all together, and once I started, it seems like the light took over instead of all the darkness that, you know, I grew up with, but once the light started taking over, things started happening, and insights started coming, and I realized that when I had drowned, and I was on, just hovered over, there was no heaven or tunnel, it was just hovering over the pond, and everything in that world outside of this world, all those ways, because I learned things through visions in that, and and it's got a high moral compass during that, learned to feel conversations people had, and I think that came back with me. That has been my conclusion. And then I, when I, I lost the twins, I think it, like, jump-started all again. Yeah. I was thinking... When you were negotiating with God and you said, if my sons would be better off without me, I'll agree to stay. What you didn't know was that he was giving you a whole lot more sons and daughters to deal with as a part of that negotiation than you were ever anticipating with all those kids that you took on as foster kids and and the kids of your own. Uh, It's phenomenal how much you have how much value you've you've given to their lives as a result of your coming back instead of just going on into the light. And so, uh, well, we'll teach them about you. I thought I met my sons. Who will teach them if I'm not there? But then now, while looking back, I'm thinking, I feel I have to thank God for giving my life back, for letting me raise my kids and to teach everybody else, you know, what I experienced. Mm -hmm. You know, that's my way of giving back. 
Now, I understand you've written an autobiography. It's not yet published, but uh, have you got any plans for getting it published? Yeah, I'm looking into it. Because I'm sure you, there are a lot of people out there having heard your story who would love to love to get a hold of your of your book. When you do get it um, published and it's you know it's out, we'll uh, we'll have you come back again and we we'll talk some more about this. Um, how how does your when did you first did, well let me start with this when you were uh, five and you were out of your body in the drowning experience did you tell anyone about it after you um, came back? No, um, my brother and I went down to swim. And when I'm out of my body, I see that my mom and sister have now come down. They, I don't know what point, but they're now down on the bed sheet, and I see my brother down there. And then I have this, you know, giant experience. And then um, next thing I know, I'm being carried over my brother John's shoulder, mm. and I'm, water is coming out of my nose and mouth. And mom turns and looks. He says, "Can I put her down now?" And she nods her head, "Yes." Well. Um, I never, I just let that, you know, go. I'm a five. How do I know what to do with that? Well, when I remembered <laughs> it after the twins, as soon as I remembered it, it was like the next day or so, I went to my mom's house, and I said, did I drown when I was little? Yeah, you did. The only thing I cared about was the fact, did I drown, and how did you find me? And yeah. um, you know, at first she didn't remember how they found me, but a few years ago she says, I thought about that, and she says, I think when I noticed you were missing, I had John go back to where he saw you, my brother, where he saw you last, and he felt around until he pulled you out. But mom didn't, my mother, she didn't want anybody knowing about this because she was afraid mm-hmm. my dad and his family would be mad at her because her first child, I was the sex to him, their first child died at nine months old, and she said the family and my dad blamed her. And now here I had died, I had drowned, and she was afraid they would all be mad at her for it. Yes, I can. I, I can understand that. And um, you, ha- you would, I think, um, described as you were drowning the sense that uh, fish were coming up to you and that you could breathe underwater. That you were more or less hallucinating something in the drowning process. Tell us a little about well, that. Um, well, when I was gulping for water and stuff and then I got down too far and the water was so muddy I couldn't see and I lost direction of which ways up and down my throat was hurting and I thought I gotta stop and think for a minute because I don't know which way to go and then all of a sudden it's like it kind of like you go to sleep you wake up or something because all of a sudden the water is now bright shiny transparent green a light green and the fish are bumping into me and I can, I'm fascinated as I see their eyes and their fins and everything, their tails. And I think my father, the five-year-old, is my parents lied to me. They told mm. me, don't go too deep, you'll drown. I thought, I didn't drown. Why did they lie to me? I'm fine. I assumed I was breathing because I wasn't having trouble struggling or anything. I felt great. And now, then, that could have... Um, that could- could have been the beginning of the out-of-body experience, and your soul was just down in the water, along with your along with your body. I think so. And then yeah. I got a vision. I call it a vision now. You know, at first I thought. Then my mind went to a time um, we had a goldfish bowl at the house, and I was watching the fish, and I thought, how come they're not afraid of that little treasure chest in there? And I realized, oh, because it's plastic, it's not real. 
And then that vision made me understand I was dead. That's why the fish weren't afraid of me. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm dead. I don't want to be a dead girl in a bottomless pond. I don't want to ruin it for everybody. It'd be, everybody would be creeped out. This dead girl's bottomless pond. You know, some girl drowned in there. And then I thought, well, I don't want to be down here. And it's like if I didn't want something, then all of a sudden it didn't. You know, I didn't like it being dark. And it was like, I didn't like being at the bottom of the pond. And now I'm starting to raise up. And I got to the edge of the water. And I was like, I could, my, my vision was different. And I could see two views at once. I could see completely under the water or I could see completely over the water. And I thought, well, I'm bored with thunder. I'll go above now. Um, Peggy, sad sad to say we are uh, just about out of time. Uh, I understand you're starting a local group, um, uh, a local IONS group for uh, fellow NDEers. Um, If somebody wanted to uh, do that, first of all, we should tell um, tell the audience where what what location you're in, and um, also how. Go ahead. It's Long Bottom, Ohio. Okay, and if that if somebody wanted to reach you to join the IONS group there, how would they do that? Um, If you go to the IONS website and go to groups. Um, has contact contact information on there. Um, Perfect. Or, and then um, I've also made um, a Facebook group. It's called The Will of a Wildflower at Wildflower Castle. And I've made a Facebook, um, Peggy Robinson Facebook, and I've used the pictures, same picture that's on for your show so they would know, you know, which one it is. And then um, I've got made up a new email. It's the will of a wildflower at gmail.com. Thank you so much, Peggy. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, but if, if anyone would like to listen to this or any of our past shows again, just go to our website at nderadio.org and uh, tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening. <laughs>